Hey, Jubilee. Thank you so much for joining us online this weekend. You're our online campus, and we appreciate so much that you'd be a part of what's going on on our weekend. We're in the middle of our What About series where we're looking at root causes of shame and struggles in our lives as Christians and how God has better for us in the lives that we're wanting to live for Him. So join every weekend to see what He has to say to you specifically because we believe that He has specific words for every person that's a part of our church at all of our campuses. If you'd like to give to our church, we have three easy ways that you can give this weekend. You could give on our website, jfc.org. You could give on our app, or you can text to give our new high-tech way that you can give, and it's totally safe and totally awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a really good weekend. If you're just comfortable right now, would you put your hand on your heart? Take this moment in with him. God, in this moment, what we want to do and what we want to say to you is yes. The simple word, yes. God, we say yes to the things of you. We say yes to your will. We say yes to what you have for us, God. God, we lay our wants and our desires down at your feet, Lord, right now. And we pick up what you have for us. Would you say yes right now with me? Yes. Yes, Jesus, would you come? Would you come and would you breathe life on your church? As I was worshiping, I just felt this word that the Lord is searching for a people who will say yes to him. He is looking for those who are ready and for those who are willing to partner with him. And God, today we say yes to your call. We say yes to your beckoning, Jesus. Yes, we want to meet with you. We want to be your church. And by that, I mean, we want to be your arms and your legs here on earth. We say yes to those things, Jesus. Jesus. This isn't about a specific church, God. This is about your church, Jesus. God, we have come here to meet because we are building not our church, but we're building your church, Father. God, today is about your church. It's about your kingdom, not our kingdom, not my kingdom. God, it is about your kingdom. And today I pray that your hearts would be stirred right now, that God would begin to speak to you in the spirit and that your call back to him is yes, Father. Yes, what you have for me. Yes, I will do that thing. May my ears be open today. Yes, Father. I want you, I came to church today for more than just a message, for more than just a moment to pat myself on the back. I came here today to say yes to the things of you, yes to who you are, yes to what you have for me. We are your church. I'm moved by that right now. We are your church. And what an honor that is and what a privilege that is. May we walk out of here looking a little more like you, sounding a little more like you. We give you this time, we give you our praises. God, we do build our life upon who you are. In your name, amen. Whew, go ahead and be seated. 
Well, welcome to church. Welcome to Jubilee. If this is your first time, I'm so glad that you're here with us. I hope that you have been enjoying the service. We have the best worship team, right? Can we just give it up for them? I love getting to come in here. And I'm not biased because one of them is my husband. The, the really cute one, he's mine. But <laughs> we actually have some really exciting news that I get to share with all of you. And last year, um, I spoke about having a miscarriage and just what um, last year was and just the heartache that last year was. And if I never have to think about it again, I will be totally okay with that. But I am pregnant. And God is good. All, all I had last year, so I miscarried and, and just, I, I, I was super vulnerable about it because it's a struggle. I think it's not talked about enough in church and it's not a thing. It's this hush, quiet thing. But I, I share that because then we, as Christians, as, as believers, we're called to mourn with those who mourn, but rejoice with those who rejoice. And today is a day of rejoicing. And if you are not in that place, maybe you're still holding on for the promises of God last year when we had lost our baby, all I had was this promise that I would hold a baby this year and it would be a little girl. And in fact, we are having a little girl <laughs> to add to our bunch. I think God showed mercy on me and realized I couldn't handle three boys, really four with my husband. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in August, we'll be welcoming our little daughter and we couldn't be um, more excited for that. As I was just thinking about preparing for this message, I just had this overwhelming amount of love for Jesus, like this just recognition, God, I am so unbelievably in love with who you are. And what a great thing, right, to have the, the speaker who's up on stage really in love with Jesus, because I could be somebody who's like, he's okay and, you know, alive, and he is so good, and I have a message for you today about how he loves you and how he's here for you and how he wants to use you. We are currently in a series called What About? And what we've been doing in this series is we've been tackling these root issue causes in our life that create um, sin, that create issue for us, that create struggle for us. Because I think what the enemy is really good at doing in our life is he is good at causing us to go after arms and limbs and things that are not necessarily the root or the cause of what we're actually struggling with. And so we've been in a series talking about these root issues of things. And if you've been gone the last two weeks, I'm not saying this because I attend this church or I work here, but truly you should go online to JC and you should check out the last two messages. They're powerful. They are life-changing messages. The first one is on shame. And the second one last week was about mental illness. And when was the last time you came to church and heard a message on mental illness? So I highly encourage you to go back and to listen to those two messages. And today we're going to jump into this root idea of identity. This idea of who you are and who you're created to be because I believe so much of what we struggle with, and I'm not talking about unbelievers, I'm talking about those who love and follow Jesus, much of what we are struggling with today is this idea of identity. 
We have all had to ask ourselves this question of who am I? Why am I here? Why did I get created from somebody else? Like, why was I picked to be here on earth for this time? Who am I? And much of what we struggle with then comes out of this question. And if this question is not being answered by God, I guarantee you this question is being answered by someone or something else. You are influenced by what you are around. And if you are not having this question answered by the living God who does breathe and does speak and does fill you with life, those who surround you will begin to answer this. Or maybe the culture around you will begin to tell you who you are. And then what we begin to do is we begin to base on what we're doing as if it was who we are. And so I have a question then that I want to ask you today because I think this is, is the shift we need to have in our mind when we begin to think about identity. And it is this, how then do you see yourself in the spiritual realm? How do you see yourself in the spiritual realm? Because yes, you are part of this world and there's a physical being that is here right now, but you are also part of a spiritual realm. You are part of a spiritual kingdom and we need to begin to filter what we see and what we think about ourselves through that person, through who God created us to be inside of that person. Because if I, if I were to describe myself, or probably you, if someone goes, describe yourself in three words, the first one would almost always be a characteristic of a physical trait, right? I would say I'm short. It's just a true statement. Beautiful would come to mind next. Brilliant would also be in those. But we describe ourselves in physical appearances often, and then maybe in personality traits next. But what I want you be, to begin to do is to begin to ask yourself, who am I in the spiritual realm? Who am I in the spiritual? And God, then how do you see me in that way? Because as much as someone has influenced you in a physical way, in this physical earth, maybe also could it be possible there are influences in the spiritual realm as well. And I want to talk today, I have a couple thoughts that I want to share that I believe God has given me about this idea of identity. And the first one is this, your identity, church. Your identity is in Christ and in him alone. Who you are is not based off of what you create. And I know that because you did not create yourself, right? Right? You did not make yourself. Who made you? Who made you? I mean, yes, I guess in the physical way, your parents made you if we really want to get down to it. But past that, higher than that. You have a God who made you. For those who believe in that and for those who don't, there is still a God who created us. And because of that, then the creator creates the creation. And the creator is the one who decides who the creation is going to be. You are not the creator. You are not the decider. 
That is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to recognize that your identity is in him. And we see this from the very beginning, from the very moment of creation in Genesis 1. God has made the heavens and God has made the earth and he's made everything that comes into the earth. And what he does is he saves the best for last. And that most prized possession, that most amazing gift, what it is, is us. He creates this earth for us to dwell with him. He loves us. And when he's creating, because he's this magnificent creator, he saves us as his display, as his workmanship of this is my best. This is my greatest accomplishment. And it says this in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own what? He created you and he created me in his image and who he is. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. He created both male and female in his image. Not just one, not just the other, both. And what he does is he takes these different facets of who he is and he sets them inside of mankind. And we all look a little different because who God is, is is endless is vast and deep, and as, as deep as it is, it is wide. And so he puts these little pieces of who he is into specific people and creates them, and he goes, this is my masterpiece. This is the display of who I am. God could have chosen to put himself in anything else, but he chose mankind to do that with. And if that doesn't shout out to you, you are loved You are so highly prized. You are so wanted that God chose to put pieces of who he is inside of you. And to know then your own identity, to know who you really are, isn't a question of, God, who am I? We go to God with this question. I know I've gone to him many times. God, who am I? Why am I here? God, could you just tell me everything about me so I can know how to live and I can know what to do? Can you do this for me? But can I, can I change our mindset for a second and go the question that we should be asking God is not who am I, but who are you? If you want to know who you are, you have to begin to know who he is. When was the last time you went to him and said, God, tell me something about who you are? God, come and tell me secrets of who you are, of how you think, of how you operate. Because if I can understand who you are, I can begin to understand how you created me to be. That is an important thing that we miss. We think we are made in this earth. We think we were made out of the idea of what this earth looks like because we struggle with sin, but your sin is never your identity. Hear that. That is an important separation that we need to begin to understand that your sin is not your identity. The thing that you struggle with, the thing that is going on inside of you is not the creation that God put in you. And I know that because you were made in the likeness of him and God does not struggle with sin. God does not struggle with anger, church. 
God does not struggle with failure. And we put these labels on based off of the experiences that we've had in this place and in our life. And what God is saying is you need to begin to ask who I am and you need to begin to filter your life through who I am because in me you find your identity. In me, you find who you really truly are, and it's not what you do that makes you who you are. I have these two little boys. Ezra's our oldest. He's about to turn four in May. And then Milo is our youngest, and he is two. He just turned two. And so Ezra is a typical firstborn and he is awesome. I, I seriously, I think, I'm sorry for every other parent in this room because we have the best children. We really do. They're, they're amazing. I love my little boys. I want to spend as much time with them as possible. Their grandparents always ask, can we watch them? And I'm like, maybe. Can I come? <laughs> can you take us all out to dinner? Because that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> but I have these, this Ezra. And Ezra is a called little boy. His name, Ezra, means helper. And then before he was born, God gave me this dream of this, this son that I would have before I even knew I was having a son. And he said he would be an arrow. I literally saw him as an arrow and he said, I will use him and from my hand I will throw him and he will pierce hard hearts for me. And so he is a helper arrow. That is who he is. And the more I watch him grow and the more I get to know this son of mine, the more I see this identity coming into play. But part of Ezra is he's a pleaser. He likes to please his mom and dad. He says, yes, I thought we were the best parents in the whole world when we had him because he is so easy, right? So I'm like, oh, if it's this easy, let's have a second close by. Any other parent out there had that thought with their first, right? That first is just pleasant and says, yes, there's never a no. There's not tantrums. You look at other moms at Target and you think, that's not my kid. It's because it wasn't their firstborn. That was the issue I made. So we have Milo. And so Milo's name means merciful. But Milo's middle name is Aslan after a lion. And so the Lord gives us this, this word for Milo before he's born. And what he tells us about Milo is that he would be a gentle spirit, but would be able to use his roar in a moment's notice. And Milo came out screaming, I'm not exaggerating. My tiny, he's tiny too. He is fierce. And we like to say he's our spice in life. And he really is. We call him Mighty Milo. This little boy is mighty. And everything that I say, he disagrees with. <laughs> everything. Milo, let's go downstairs. Let's stay upstairs. All right. Milo, let's eat dinner. No. That's actually always his answer, just no, no, I'm not doing that. Milo, that's the sidewalk. No, it's not. Okay, it, it is. Milo, that's gray. No, it's purple. Uh, it's, you're two. You are two. What is going on? I am out. I am being outwitted by a two-year-old in my life. And yet here's what I know to be true about my two sons is I love one no more because he's easy and compliant than the one that is always at odds with me. My love for them is no different. And what we do sometimes is we go, we look at the person who's struggling and we go, oh, I don't have that. God must look at me different than that. 
but a parent looks at their kids absolutely no different. In fact, I love my sons the exact same in the exact same ways. And what I do then is I separate the behavior from the person. God separates your behavior from your identity. Your behavior is not your identity, good or bad. I know a lot of people who strive and who who have a good job and who spend all their time pouring into this life that looks very good from the outside. And yet they're just as lost as a person who's struggling and running as far away from God as possible. Because the identity of who you are isn't in what you do, but it's in who Christ is. That is good. That is so good because it frees you. What it does is it frees you from performance. And performance is never what God wanted from you. Performance was never the thing he asked of you. What he wanted was a heart who wanted to know who he was. What he wanted with Adam and Eve wasn't for them to know everything. What he wanted was for them to know him. And it's still true today. It's why he sent Jesus here to die on a cross because what he longs for and what he aches for is for you to know who he is and what he thinks about who you are. That is his desire and that is his hope for your relationship with him because the truth is you will never measure up with what you do. You will never measure up with what you do. The second thing that I want to talk about is this. You must contend for your identity. You must contend and you must be willing to fight for the thing that is most important in your life and do not be mistaken in thinking your identity is something nonchalant to the enemy around you. If he takes it seriously, you probably should be taking it seriously. In Romans 12, 2, it says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what the scripture then is really saying is do not try to replicate. Do not try to look like the world that is around you because you are making a mistake in thinking that God created you to look like the person you're sitting next to. God did not call you to look like your sister, to look like your brother, to look like your parent, to look like that person that you are so admiring and you so wish you could be. That's not who God created you to be. God created you to be the person he designed, the person that he set inside of you. You show a facet of who God is that no one else can. And that is your calling, is to show the peace of God that no one else has inside of them. We are called to be this light, this city on a hill. And how can you be shining when you're trying to just replicate what the other person you know is doing? The light that is inside of you is him, church. It's who he is. And this scripture is saying, do not try to look like the world. Do not try to be like them because once you know who Christ is, you will never look like the world again. The old is gone. The new has come is what the Bible tells us. 
But here is what it says is, but be transformed, be changed by what? The renewal. What that says to me is it is not a one-time thing you have to do. Knowing who you are and fighting for that thing is not a one-time occurrence. It is a re, it is a current, it is an ongoing thing that you must do. And it's in here that it happens. Inside this mind is where the war is waging. And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The battle for your life is not what is seen around you. It is what is going on inside your mind. And I like to play offense with the enemy because if we can know why he's doing what he's doing, how much greater of an impact in fighting him can we have? And we take scriptures like this and we go, okay, there's a war waging or there's something going on and I'm going to fight. But if you don't know why you're fighting for what you're fighting for, you're not going to be very convinced of the thing. You're not going to be driven in the same way. So I want to share with you why you're fighting. The enemy is fighting for your identity. The war that is being waged right now is for the identity of who you are. And here is why that is true. What did Satan want to be like? He wanted to be like God, right? Okay, whose image are you made in? You're made in God's image. So then you are literally a slap in the enemy's face. It wasn't that God said, no, no one can be made in my image. You are not made in my image. You are not made to look like me. I have mankind that I've saved that for. That is his love on you. That is his banner over you that he created you, church. He could have put that on someone else. He could have chosen his angels to be made in his form and in his likeness, but he chose you to be his image bearer. And of course then, the enemy is fully aware of the power that that holds. You should be too. You should recognize the power that is inside of you, the significance of who you really are, because he recognizes the power of who you really are. So then what he wants to do is, here, here's the truth, he cannot create you, right? He cannot decide who you are. He does not get a say in the identity of what God created you to be, what he can do. And the only thing he can do is he can lie to you and try to convince you that you are not the thing you really are. And he will do that and he will not stop doing that. He will do that till your dying breath. He will fight you tooth and nail because he hates that you are made to be like God. And we have to fight for that. I have a specific word in this, and it's for this young generation right now. And there's kids and there's, there's teenagers sitting in this room. And I'm not so old that I don't remember what it's like to go to high school and to have a thousand voices telling you what you should be. 
And if you're a parent raising kids in this generation that is currently going on, I want to speak to you and I want to speak to that young generation about this, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And God showed me this interesting thing that acceptable is this idea of acceptance. And what the enemy is going after right now is children who just want to be accepted. And if you are not getting that, if your child is not hearing that, they will find it from someone else. They will find it from another group. They will find it if it is not being answered, they will make sure that question is answered. And I felt this charge, if you are a young person, and if you are listening to this, hear this right now, you are accepted. There is a God who sent his son to die for you, not just because you were a happenstance or you were just accidentally put here, but there is a generation. You are part of a generation that God is raising up, and part of this generation has an identity of knowing who they are in Christ. That is part of who you are. That is part of who you are. And I'm passionate about this because I have two boys right now who are growing up in a world that says that righteousness is wrong. That being um, for something is being against everything else and that you are a bad person if you stand for anything that disagrees with what culture is saying that everything is acceptable. Not everything is acceptable. Not everything is okay. Not everything is righteous. There is a God who sent his son to die for you, and we come under his identity. And if you want to know who you are, your friends will never satisfy that in you. You will live a life running after things that you think will fill you up, and at the end of all of it, you will feel hopeless if you do not find this identity and who God made you to be. God has a call on your life. God has a call on this generation. I believe that so strongly that I am praying for you that I am contending for you in the spiritual realm because the enemy wants to silence you because you were made for such a time as this. And then for parents who are raising these kids right now, what I would tell you is this. I felt this word to a charge almost for you, that you are to contend for your child's identity until they can contend for it themselves. It is our responsibility to fight for that thing. And when they live in your house and until they go off on your own, you are part of that fight. You are part of that battle. And the thing that God has spoken to me more about in my life is not about who I am. It's actually about who my children are called to be. And I believe that God wants to give you words for your children. I believe that God wants to wake you up in the night and speak to you life over these little kids, over these these teenagers who are going through things we did not ever have to go through. 
So much so that I'm willing to stop an entire message and run out of time, willing to spend time on this issue because it's important. You may sit here and go, well, I know who I am, so this isn't relevant to me. You are mistaken if you think your entire family is secure in who they are. You have to fight for this thing. Be willing to fight for that thing. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything in your family that is setting itself up against his knowledge and who he is, you tell it to kneel in the name of Jesus. You tell it to bow in the name of Jesus. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You are not subjective to what the enemy is putting inside your head. You have power inside of you. And when you know Christ, you are a powerhouse. You tell that thoughts that the enemy plants inside you, silence now. I don't have to agree with this. I don't have to believe in this because I know who I really am. I'm created in Christ. And if Christ doesn't look like this, then I was not created to look like this. The third thing, and this is where I want to spend the rest of my time today, is this. God renames who you are. God wants to rename who you are. When you come into relationship with him, this is what he does. Genesis 35, 18. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called him Ben-Oni. This is the last son of Jacob. This is his 12th. This is the tribes, right? And this woman calls her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow or son of my suffering. And up to this point in his life, this is true about him, right? The son actually has been a son of her suffering. He has caused her great grief. She is losing her life over this thing, over this son. And what we don't recognize is in this time and in this culture is that this name is who this child was going to be. The name of who you were was your identity. And the father recognizes this. Jacob is there as well. And what Jacob says is, no, that may have been who you were. But his father called him Benjamin. And what Benjamin means is son of my right hand. Son of my blessing. You may have been the son of suffering. But when you come and you meet with the father, when you are in his presence, what he does is he renames who you are. So the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that is going on inside of you, that you say, this is who I am. I am a failure. When you come into his presence, he renames who you are. And he says, no, you are son or daughter of significance. You are a success in my eyes. Or you struggle with anger and you say, that's who I am. I'm an angry person. I do things out of anger and I have much to regret in life because of this. And when you come into the presence of God and you really meet him, the power of the gospel transforms you, church. 
And what he says is he goes, no, you're son of peace. You're daughter of kindness. And for me, my name would have been daughter of fear. It's who I was. I have spent much of my life in fear, afraid, struggling. And I don't have time to get into the years of, of death that it brought to me, of it paralyzing who I was and what I was called to do in this life. And so I go to YWAM when I was 18, which was 10 years ago, which is Youth with a Mission in Kona, Hawaii. And as I'm there, we, we have this time that we have to go to this prophetic night and we meet with these people who are going to pray over us. And you go and you sit down and you go back to the moment of this, this um, thing that has paralyzed you in life. And I know exactly what mine is. It's fear. And since I can remember, since, since I was a little girl, I have struggled with fear. And so they're like, okay, well, let's pray over this thing. Let's renounce it. And as they begin to pray, they begin to laugh and they go, the interesting thing is this. The way God looks at you and the picture we see of you is this word, this label, this, this identity of who you are is actually a fearless person. Your identity is actually fearless. You actually are called to do these incredible things for the Lord. And in the spiritual realm, you are this bold body to be reckoned with. And I walk away from that really discouraged because I think, okay, well, I wasn't set free from fear. I'm still kind of dealing with this thing. And I don't feel fearless. And, and I begin to pray and I begin to ask the Lord, what does this mean? And he asks me this question. Why is it do you think you've struggled with fear so much in your life? Why is it that this has been the place that you have been attacked? And I go, because I'm a weak person, because I am a fearful person. And he speaks this clearer than day to me. He goes, no, it's actually because the enemy has recognized your entire life, how fearless you are. And church, could it be possible the place you have spent much of your life struggling is the place that you actually have the most freedom in Christ? The enemy can only lie to you. And what I know to be true is that God is not a fearful God. God is fearless in what he does and in how he does it. And I was created in his image. And so apart from God, I would love to say that I've never struggled with fear a day in my life since then. But what I know to be true is that when I am in relationship with him, when I am walking with him and when I am doing it with him and feel that closeness and my identity is found in him, I find myself a fearless person. And the second I walk out of that and the second I walk away from that and start doing it my own way, I begin to operate out of fear. Because maybe I am a fearful person in earth and here on earth and that is my downfall. But in Christ Jesus, I'm a fearless person. I am a testimony of what God can do in your life. I would not be on this stage I would not be up here proclaiming boldly who God is and what he has for you if he didn't set me free from the knowledge that I was just a fearful person. And today we have an opportunity for you. We have prayer teams that are gonna be on my left and on my right. 
And today is a moment for you to step out. That as we go into this time of worship, God is calling you to be brave today. I had this word as I was driving to church yesterday, and it's this, what we are afraid of when we step out like this, when we ask for prayer, when we say, I am at the end of my rope. I don't know how to get through this anymore. Maybe it's for your child. Maybe it's for you. Maybe you have believed a lie most of your life, and the longer you believe something, isn't it so much harder to break free from that thing? You feel hopeless and you feel like there's never going to be a chance and you don't see yourself the way God sees you. But what the, the light does is we go, we think in our, our earthly way that it exposes who we are. It exposes the sin inside of us. But God wanted me to tell you this today. What the light does is it reveals who you are in him. It reveals the identity of who you created, of who you were created to be. And what more the enemy wants to do is keep you hidden because in the dark, he can lie to you. He can convince you of who you are not. But when you step an inch into the light, when you make that decision, God comes and he shines his light. He is the light. He shines his truth into who you are. So be bold today. When we go into this time of worship, go to one of our prayer people. Go to them and ask for a word and ask, I need something to change. I need something to shift. I need light to be shown on this. I need my identity revealed. God, we just thank you. I thank you, Lord that you wanna set people free today, that you, you, you have words to share with people today, you have life to give, you have light to bring. We give you, God, this time, we give you this moment, and, and for those who are, are secure and good in their identity, may we come and just worship you then, and thank you that you have revealed who we are. But for those of you who are struggling, be bold, be willing to step into the light. He's faithful to meet you in that place. In your name, amen.